0: Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. We're going to be looking at chapter 2 of Titus, and we're going to be examining the grace of God. While you're doing that, I just want to kind of say a word of who we are. You know, who is this guy up here? For the past almost nine years, my wife and I have been involved in a ministry called poimen, which is a a Greek word, anglicized from poimen. But poimen is a Greek word for shepherd or pastor. And this particular ministry is focused on going to especially younger pastors and wives, especially in smaller churches, to minister to them, to come alongside them, to assist them in their ministry, to be a set of fresh eyes, to come and take a look at things, especially after several years, make some suggestions, pray with them. <clears throat> and, and, you know, it's been a wonderful, wonderful um, adventure for my wife and I. I pastored for 29 years in Calvary Chapel, North Phoenix, and then after that, we turned the church over and went on this nine year journey with Poyman Ministries. It brought us over to the UK to take over a a small little Calvary there, and yet to be a base of operation to minister to the pastors and wives in the UK and in Europe. And so. Uh, back in September, I had a heart attack, and so it kind of sped up the transition process of bringing in a British pastor to take over Calvary Chapel Exeter, which was completed by the end of last year. And so now we're, uh, we're over here visiting our family in Phoenix and here in Colorado. <clears throat> and then we're going back on Saturday, and we're going to be jumping into full-time reaching out to pastors and their wives in the UK and in Europe, and uh, our schedule is already filled up for half of the year, so it's going to be hitting the ground running in the midst of it. And so we're, we're just blessed that God has uh, opened the door for this kind of ministry, taking our, our long years of ministry experience. My wife and I got saved in the Jesus movement back in the late 60s, and so... You know, I'm an old hippie, I guess, and uh, yeah, now I've lost all my hair. (laughs) Anyway, that's just kind of what the Lord has been doing on our journey. You have your own journey that is just as special, and God is doing His work to glorify His name. But tonight, I really want to focus on the grace of God somehow we can get it all in a place where we think, oh, I understand that. I've got that figured out. I can answer the questionnaire. But the real thing that has to be asked is, are we letting God's grace flow through our life to other people? It's more than just understanding about it. It has to do with being gracious to other people, being gracious to your family, being sensitive to what's going on in their lives rather than just trying to put them in a box. And so this little section here in Titus is where Paul takes some time and he really focuses on how God's grace affects our past, how God's grace affects our present, and how God's grace affects our future. And as we examine that, we also want to ask ourselves... A personal question. Am I living in a gracious way toward other people? Because so many people get so stuck on exact theology that they stop being gracious to other people. And so we're going to explore that a bit. So Let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into reading verses 11 to 15 of chapter 2 of Titus, and we'll see what the Lord has for us, all right? Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word tonight, and we're inviting you to minister to us about your grace. It is so very precious and special to you. Lord, would you meet us here? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you examine us, Lord? We want to not just understand about your grace, but we want to be people that reflect and show your grace to this world around us. And so tonight, Lord, we open your word. May we hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Verse 11 to verse 15 of chapter 2 of the book of Titus. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things and exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. You know, the back story here. on this letter to Titus, Titus had been with Paul, and they had gone over to the Isle of Crete to share the gospel, to set up churches, to establish them, appoint elders, get everything, uh, so that discipleship could go on. And Paul felt led to go on, but he wanted Titus to stay there and to really bring things together. And that's what you read in the first chapter where Paul is reminding Titus of what they had talked about over and over again. Titus was like Paul's son in the faith. He'd been spending so much time with Paul. And you know, when you hang out with someone for a long period of time, you start picking up their mannerisms. And you even start talking like them. You know, you hang around the Brits for a, some, some while, and all of a sudden, you start talking like them, and, and you take your alls, and you put them in the back of your throat, and, and, and you got to shift gears and say, wait a minute, I'm not in Britain. I'm in the USA. But I'm not in Boston either, you know. So here we are in Titus. Paul is reminding him, saying, listen, Titus. Understand how important the grace of God is in this whole thing of establishing churches and setting up discipleship. It's not just about theology. It has to do with inspiration more than information. Sorry, I hit repeat (laughs) and (laughs) start. Okay, let's cancel that, baby. That's done. No worries. So Titus is there to say, Listen, as he's discipling, he's saying, Understand that God's grace takes care of your past. It's the grace of God that brings salvation that has appeared to all men. Our past has been forgiven we still have a memory of it don't we I can still think back when my wife and I went to high school in Hillsboro Oregon 1969 when we barely graduated we we weren't even believers yet and yet it was right after graduation where God called us to himself and we both repented and became believers at age 18 then we got married six months later which, by the way, don't get married at age 18. I'm just telling you right now. There's more, I'm just telling you right now. But well, we've been married now 49 years. That's another side story. Where Titus was ministering in the Isle of Crete, they had a reputation. Paul gives a description of the, of the reputation of the Cretans. And he says, over in verse 12 of chapter 1, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. There are cultural habits that get in the way of discipleship. And you know, that's still true, isn't it? No matter where you go, every country has their own cultural uniquenesses. There's nothing wrong with being in a unique culture until the culture has you do things contrary to the laws of the kingdom of God. Then culture does not trump Scripture. Scripture trumps culture. We live in a culture that is less and less influenced by biblical principles. And as believers, we are challenged daily to hold to the truth, but yet still be gracious to other people who have different views and opinions than you do. God's grace is needed in every culture. God's grace is different than mercy. Mercy. God's grace is different than love. His grace is something that so impacts your life. All of a sudden, all the little things that maybe previously annoyed you are put aside and you're going, you know, God has done so much for me. It's, it, what what uh, the offense that has happened is, is, is so lightweight compared to, to what he's done for me. God's grace, Paul says in verse 11, has appeared. And the word appeared in the Greek means, um, it's actually the the word where we get the word epiphany. It it comes up like the sun in the morning and makes things brighter and brighter and, and the heat is affected by the sun. When I first became a believer at age 18, I didn't understand about the grace of God. I still remembered my sin, my sins, plural. And I still fell into sin. And I tried really hard to stop sinning. My idea of being spiritual is how long you can go between sins. And so I tried really hard. And the only problem was is that in trying really hard, I'm sinning. (laughs) You know, I'm trying to do it myself and not just accepting the reality of what God has done in my life. Our second son, Jesse, adopted two children from Asia. They came into his family at one was age one and the other was five months old. And you know... Their world is completely different now, living in, in the home of my son there in Phoenix. They were brought from one culture into a family, not just a Christian family, but their dad now is a pastor. How different life is for them. Let's say that they were adopted when they were five years old or maybe seven years old. And they'd been in the orphanage all that time. I have a little story here that reflects the heartbreak of the mindset. And this ties in with sometimes how we see our own life when we first come to the Lord. There was a family in our church in Phoenix who had adopted a little girl from Guatemala. And before my son was adopting those two from Asia, I asked this family, what's it like? What's it like? What's the hardest part about, you know, the adoption process and bringing them into your family? And without a beat, the dad said, when she gets in trouble. Because when she gets in trouble especially if it's kind of serious, she will eventually say, are you going to send me back? You see, that little girl had this wrong idea that somehow she performed good enough in the orphanage to get her parents to adopt her. And so it stuck in her mind that if she has a really bad day, there's danger of her going to be sent back to the orphanage. That's called performance-based relationship. God's grace is different. God's grace calls you even while you were in sin. That's what it says over in Romans. He calls us while we were in sin. He calls us to himself. He doesn't require us to take a bath before he comes to us and cleans us. God has been gracious to us to forgive us all of our sin if we place our faith and trust in his son, Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works lest anybody should boast, Ephesians chapter 2. So if God has been so gracious to us, when we see others who are not believers and them having behavior that we know clearly is sinful behavior, are we gracious to them like God has been gracious to us? Well, Pastor Bob, I mean, you can't just ignore the truth. Well, okay. But how did Jesus deal with sinners when he approached them? He was a rabbi. It's interesting how they felt comfortable around Jesus because there was this grace that came out of his life, this grace and this love. God has called us to be clear about the truth of his grace, but we have to be men and women who are gracious to other people. That it's gonna take time. How long did it take for you To become a believer. How long did it take for me? I gave believers such a rough time. And they were living right in the house. I was in a commune. The rock band I was in had a... You know, we had a house in Portland, Oregon. And some Christians moved in. And they were so annoying. They just kept in my face with the gospel and I just you know get away as I'm busy smoking dope and into Eastern mysticism and all the rest. But you know they loved me through it. And then there came that point where the Holy Spirit all of a sudden turned the switch on and and all of a sudden it dawned on me if they're right, I'm in big trouble. I have to find out God has this way of taking his rope and pulling you in slowly are we that way with others we're praying for or do we take the scripture and try to microwave them microwave salvation let me grab your chin say this prayer right now And and we think, okay, now they're in. Put the notch on your belt. Let's go on to the next one. Listen, the grace of God teaches us to be gracious because the grace of God brings salvation. And And that grace has appeared to all men. Let's take a look at the second part, the grace of God affecting our personal life today in the present tense verse 12 teaching us the grace of God teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present age I want you to notice the word teaching the grace of God teaches us that word means to to train to instruct as a child is instructed over and over The grace of God does an ongoing work of training throughout our entire life as a believer. My wife and I have been believers almost 50 years now, and I'm still being trained by the grace of God. I'm still coming to points where I'm thinking, what what am I doing? I'm I'm not allowing your grace to flow through my life. I'm so tense. I'm so uptight. Lord, what's happening here? You know, pull the plug, you know, like those little steam valves on the top of your hot water heater. Man, you know, get get that steam out. You know, let, let's let's be gracious. God's grace emphasizes the discipline of self-denial of things that grieve the Holy Spirit. The first thing he teaches us is that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Do you know that that ungodliness and worldly lust are two general categories ungodliness has to do with our outward behaviors and worldly lust have to do with our inward motions so it's not just the actions it's the heart and god's grace teaches us that we've got to put aside those things and sometimes they're long standing habits I want you to look down at verse 14 about our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous of good works. The reason for self-denial is Jesus. It's not just doing the work because this is what we don't do. It's not just being a moralist. It has to do with falling in love so deeply with the Lord Jesus. You don't want to do anything that would bring offense to that relationship and would block that fellowship. Denying Um, uh, ungodliness, godless living, worldly lust, the sinful pleasures, the passions. Jesus said this to his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You see, the, it's all about Jesus. It's not about the rules. Being a Christian is not a rule keeper. Being a Christian is the most important thing in your life is Jesus Christ. Now, how can that be? I mean, we study about George Washington and we study about Benjamin Franklin, you know, and my life isn't devoted to George Washington or, or Ben Franklin and reading all of his writings. I can't have a relationship with George Washington, but I can have a relationship with Jesus Christ because he's alive. He rose from the dead. And as, the, as you get close to him, the sweetness of the life is something that you don't want anything to block. Any behavior that the Scripture tells you and reminds you is grievous to the Holy Spirit, you go, I I can't be doing that anymore. It's not because you're telling me, it's because, man, if I do those things, my life just ends up shriveling up. When we do those behaviors or when we yield to those sinful motions in our life, there is a sowing and reaping that takes place. In Galatians chapter 6, we are reminded by Paul, "'Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption.'" but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. When you sow a particular seed into the ground, what comes up are the same quality and abundance from the number of seeds you planted. You see, that seed that you plant comes up not anything different than what you planted, so if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap back from the flesh and the corruption of the flesh. And it comes back in quantity. You sow a, a kernel of corn into the ground. It's not one big kernel that comes up. You know, it's a stalk and then there's ears of corn. And there's, it multiplies. When we sow to the flesh and give allowance to that in our life, there's a reaping. But if you sow to the Spirit, just one kernel, you can count on what's coming back is the same quality and quantity. That's why he says later, he says, let us not grow weary while doing good. Those, that's planting good seed. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's continue in verse 12. God's grace teaches us that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. It's interesting. This verse, verse 12, has put off the old man, put on the new man. It's that same idea. But what are we to put on? What should be happening? God's grace disciples us, instructs us that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. It's interesting because that deals with the inward, the outward, and the upward. I want you to notice that. To live soberly means to, to live in wisdom, self-controlled, fully aware, as it relates to us. That inward discernment. God's grace teaches us about this. Secondly, God's grace teaches us about upright living, and that's more of the outward as it relates to others. Soberly deals with us. Righteousness deals with others. And godliness is an upward um, kind of um, activity, devotion to God as, as it relates to God. So it's inward, upward, and outward here in verse 12 that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And, and I, I just want to say sometimes you have to take a fast from Facebook, you've got to take a fast from watching news because there's so much viciousness and fake news on both sides that you've got to just take a break and say, Lord, may the Holy Spirit flush out of my mind all the things that aren't of you. It's called the royal flush, right? It's just, you know, go into your toilet, pull that lever down and say, God, I want you to do this in my mind. I just want you to flush out the the thoughts that aren't of you because those thoughts lead to emotions, and those motions lead to attitudes and um, even actions. God's grace deals with our past forgiveness. God's grace deals with our present in verse 12, that things that we need to put off and also things we need to yield to Because discipleship is a lifelong process and you and I are being discipled by the Lord Jesus right now. He is still our chief shepherd. Amen? And then let's look at the future, verse 13. God's grace deals with our future, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And then the exhortation to Titus, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you. The grace of God causes us to look forward into our future. There's coming a time when the Lord Jesus is going to come for his church. He's going to bring his rewards with him, we are told in Scripture. Now let's understand something. Rewards are different than blessings. And let's make that clear. Blessings are determined by the sole choice of the Father. God chooses to bless in his own way, in his own time, to different individuals according to his own purpose. We can limit our experience of his blessings through sinful behavior and attitudes, but we can never earn God's blessings by our good works. For the first five years of my Christian life, I I tried to earn God's blessing because I was convinced if I would perform well enough, God will bless me to the full. But I had the whole thing upside down. I can never earn God's blessing. God blesses because He wants to. It's His heart. Kind of like me as a grandfather wanting to bless my grandkids just because I love them. But if they get the idea, well, if I perform well enough, you know, poppy, grandfather, will, will really, you know, give me, you know, a few extra bucks here and there. But God's blessings are from his own decision and not based upon performance. But, again, you can hinder the fullness of God's blessing in your life by disobedience and sin. I know that for a fact. Trust me. Over 50 years, I've seen it all. Well, no, I haven't seen it all. I'm going to see it more. (laughs) But it's true. Well, so what about rewards? What's the difference? Rewards come with Jesus. And they have to do with a crown for your obedience, being obedient to Him during your life here on earth, and there's a reward that He's going to give you. And let me tell you something. Rewards, really, it's nothing about us. Do you know that God gives you the plan because He purposed it? God gives you His Spirit to empower you, and then God gives you a reward for being obedient, yet He gave you the faith by which to obey is it any wonder that the 24 elders who are seated around the throne in heaven take their crowns and cast them down before the throne? Because it's like, what am I doing with this? I didn't earn this. It's all been you. It's been your plan. It's been your power. It's, been, it's, it, it's you working in my life. This crown that you gave me is yours. That's why they're casting the crown down. There's a reward coming for each and every one of God's children. Look closely here at verse 13. God's grace teaches us to look for the blessed hope. And the way this is structured in the Greek, blessed hope is a title of Jesus Christ, not just, oh, I hope I get to heaven. I had a friend of mine way back say, you know, all I want to do is just get barely in the door of heaven with a sleeping bag and I'll be fine. Well, you're missing the whole point. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You realize that the way this is structured in the Greek, Paul is calling Jesus Christ God. There's no other way you can look at how the Greek text here is put together by Paul. He believed that Jesus was God incarnate. Jesus is our hope. When you've lost a loved one and you were so close to them and you would give anything to have them back, You don't care where you live. You don't care what your lifestyle is. You don't care about anything. You don't care if you're in poverty. If they could come back and just be with you, the world would be fine. Let's apply that attitude to heaven. You see, heaven isn't about just being in a utopia and being able to do anything you want to do. We want to die and be with the Lord. It's all about him. It doesn't matter where we are as long as we have him. I was just reading this morning in Exodus where Moses said to God, Lord, if you don't go with us, don't take us to this promised land. I want you more than I want the promised land. And that's how our hearts should be. Lord, heaven is where you are and that's where I want to be. And the grace of God teaches us to look for that blessed hope, the Lord Jesus. We're going to see him. You know, the disciples were so grieved when Jesus was going to go away. They had spent three and a half years living with him day after day. How fantastic that was. And then he's going to be gone. We don't want you to go. It's fantastic being with you, Jesus. That's heaven. You know, heaven and earth, the physical heaven and earth are going to pass away. So you better know Jesus, because if you're looking for, you know, um, you know, pie in the sky and the sweet by and by, you're missing the point. It's got to be Jesus. He's our blessed hope. And then verse in 14, it says, He gave himself for us. Because of what he has done, that's why I live a life of self-sacrifice and my focus is him. Because of what he's done for me. That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Jesus, purify my heart. Lord, you know the thoughts that come out of my life sometimes are not pure. May your Holy Spirit do the royal flush in my thought life and just flush out those things. And may you put that sweetness of your life back in its fullness in my heart. To what end does he do this? It's for himself that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself. It's not even just for us, but it's for himself. God's working in your life because he's so excited about the end product, you and him together. I, I can't communicate to you how much God loves you Maybe your parents hated you. Maybe your friends rejected you. And all you think of is, is, you know, nobody understands. The Bible tells us very clearly that God loves us so deeply that he thinks about you more times than there are grains of sand in the sea. Why does he tell us that he's thinking about us all the time? So that we stop thinking about ourselves and be more focused on others. If God's got it covered, then I should just release myself to share and minister and pour out his love and grace to others. His own special people. And then verse 15 Paul says to Titus, speak these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Gang, there are people that aren't going to receive when you share about Jesus. And that's okay. Jesus is watching. God's called us to be fishermen. And sometimes we just want to throw a stick of dynamite in the lake and blow the fish up, you know, and just come and skim them off the top. But he's called us to be anglers. And that means it just takes a while. And you gotta understand the fish. Particular fish takes a particular kind of bait, takes a particular kind of movement. I love going sea bass fishing because you're always moving. You're jigging for bass. But angle fishing in a in a boat in the middle of the lake, you gotta know what you're doing. And you gotta be willing to wait. So the person you've been praying for, what kind of fish are they? You just trying to hook them by the gill, <laughs> you know, bring them into the kingdom? Or is it gonna take some time? Are you just gonna have to come alongside be their friend, love them through, wait for God's timing to set up his divine appointment. Love him through it, pray him through it, be a patient, fisher person. So this, this evening we've been reminded that God's grace teaches us about our past, that it's been forgiven. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God's grace teaches us, instructs us, disciples us about self-denial and godly living. And God's grace gives us that hope of what's ahead for us. You know, about five months ago, it was almost my time to meet the Lord. I had a heart attack the end of September, had cardiac arrest on the gurney, My wife was behind the the gurney and watching them keep my heart alive by chest compressions there in England. And um, it could have gone either way. But the Lord wasn't done with me. So here we are. (laughs) My voice sounds more raspy, though, than it used to. I feel like Walter Brennan sometimes, you know, for those of you that are older. But I, I just want to say, listen, use the day. Take every day. Let God use you. You're in a wonderful church here. This church preaches grace. This church lives grace. This church has Grace FM, <laughs> good grief. <laughs> and so you're a part of this. And so determine in your heart, God, make me a gracious person. Help me to see people like you see them. Help me finish strong in my life. I don't want to just flash out. I, I want to I be a marathon runner. I want to finish strong. And God will do the work. But your hope is Jesus, not just heaven, being with him. So as we close here tonight the question is really have you come to know this Jesus that Paul was talking about? You can't get to know George Washington can't get to know Ben Franklin but you can get to know Jesus because he's still alive by means of the Holy Spirit. And man when you connect with him there is nothing like it the life is hard to explain. Now, for those of you that are believers, maybe you've had a big boulder on top of the artesian well, the living water well, and you've blocked off the flow of the living water because of your own sin and selfishness and independent heart. All God wants you to do is say, Lord, I've got this boulder of pride that just has blocked your flow. Would you give me the strength to repent and acknowledge it and, and Lord, to, to push that boulder off of the top of the artesian well so the water can start flowing again. We can say, oh, Lord, just remove the boulder. No, you and the Lord in the yoke, let's push it together. That's part of repentance, pushing against the things that block the flow. Tonight, it's no... Coincidence that I'm here. Saturday my wife and I are flying back to the UK. So what's the Lord want to do? How has he spoken to your heart? He's been speaking to my heart all week about this. I ask you, don't leave here tonight until you've done business with God. If If he brought things to your mind that you have to take care of, please take care of it. Take the time to come up front as the last song is is sung and pray with someone and start the process. That's your step of faith to start the process. You can do this. Kind of like Marlon said to Nemo, you can do this, Nemo. Just take that step. All right? Let's bow our heads. Father God, we thank you for your word tonight. We're asking that the Holy Spirit would do special ministry to us individually. Yes, Lord, we are a church congregation gathered in this building, but you see us as individuals. The things you've been speaking to our heart about, Lord, help us not just look in the mirror and then walk away, but to actually take a step of faith and act upon it tonight. Lord, you love us so much. Your word tells us that. Your spirit seeks to burn that into our heart. Oh, God, touch us in the deepest part of our life, please. Break through. And Father, we're just looking for you to do that work. So tonight, it's yours. In Jesus' name.